With the first week of the 2023 NFL calendar behind us, a look back at the scorecard for the 2023 Miami Dolphins offseason blueprint, which was my hypothetical, what would I do versus what we've actually seen happen. You are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, Dolphins fans? Kyle Krabs of Locked On Dolphins, your team every day. Here on the Locked On Network today is Tuesday, March 21st, 2023. I want to welcome you guys to Locked On Dolphins. I want to thank you guys for making Locked On Dolphins your first Miami Dolphins listen of the day. If you are new to the program, welcome to the show. My name is Kyle Krabs. I'm a lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, clearly. Clearly. Clearly, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan. For those of you listening on audio, maybe check out the YouTube channel and see what the heck just happened. <laughs> but uh, I'm also the co-host of the Locked On NFL Scouting Show with Joe Marino, uh, which is dedicated to team building in the NFL. And excited to uh, revisit my own team building effort here with the Miami Dolphins and look back on what we've seen transpire versus what I would have hypothetically done through this stage of the game. And additionally, what the markets have been versus what we expected the markets to be. And then what players are still unsigned for the Dolphins or still unsigned in free agency that could be solutions for the Dolphins based on that initial offseason blueprint. So if you missed the 2023 Miami Dolphins offseason blueprint, it was a full week of content here on the show dedicated to two weeks ago, what I would do at every stage free agency, salary cap, contract negotiations, contract extensions, the draft, all of the above. And it gave you a three-year outlook of the salary cap with a 53-man roster for the 2023 season. I won't bemoan any of those talking points again, but what I will revisit is some of the discrepancies between what my blueprint was versus what the Dolphins have done and how they mirror each other and what kind of economic values uh, the, their, the open market has produced us that were probably surprising or not surprising for players that we had tabbed as targets for the Dolphins. So you can start at the quarterback position. Uh, the Dolphins giving Mike White a backup quarterback contract, which is effectively two years, $8 million with another $8 million in incentives, which I think is a smart play for the Dolphins. If you want to juice and, and give players an opportunity to come down here and obviously uh, this is becoming a destination team for for players who have leveraging decisions to make. Um, incentivizing them while still protecting yourself with incentive money, which they did with Jeff Wilson, which they did with Raheem Mostert, which they did with Mike White. I think it's smart. It's really smart. It's not necessarily something that I put into any of the blueprint whatsoever, uh, but it it's a good play. And it foils to the contract of the backup quarterback that I had the Dolphins going after, which was Taylor Heineke. I had Taylor Heineke down on a one-year, $6 million deal with $4 million salary cap hitting year one with a void year behind it. The Dolphins have largely avoided the void years. That's a big discrepancy between what the Dolphins have done and, and what I had kind of instilled on a couple different spots with contract restructures and, and free agent signings. But Heineke signed for two for 14. So the dollar amount, I had him down for six. He went for seven. So the dollar amount feels about right. Uh, he signed with the Atlanta Falcons. The 
upside of Mike White versus Taylor Heineke. I think Taylor Heineke's skills from year two at Tungvaloa is more. Uh, but Mike White's played in the system. So is there give and take there? Probably. I'm, I'm sure that was part of the motivating factor uh, for the Dolphins and then obviously getting a, a little bit of a cheaper player uh, where Heineke is averaging $7 million in cash per season versus Mike White is guaranteed four, and then playing time incentives might escalate that. Uh, running back, um, two parallel moves to what I would have proposed uh, in Raheem Mostert and Savan Ahmed coming back. Uh, I did not have Jeff Wilson down as a returning player. Uh, I had them going after Jarek McKinnon, uh, another speed-type player. Uh, with some upside, even as an older player, he remains unsigned. So that is a player that I don't know what the Dolphins bringing back Ahmed Wilson and Raheem Mostert. I that's probably not in play for the Dolphins, but that is a player that was tabbed and and unsigned. I think the interesting thing is Mostert. Uh, I had him down for one year for three million, and he went for two for five point six plus incentive money that that can potentially elevate that a couple million dollars across the next two seasons. So uh, financially, you're in the right strike zone. I certainly think that's a sweet spot for Miami, especially with Raheem coming off of a career year with also kind of the mystery element of him being a player who has had durability questions and being an older player. So I think they've played both of the backfield positions quite well. Uh, at wide receiver, things get a little funky because you didn't expect Braxton Berry or you, you, you weren't guaranteed that Braxton Barrios was going to be on the market, so it wasn't in the conversation for you. Uh, I did have them drafting a, a return specialist-type player, so it's nice to have that box checked, even if it comes at the expense of $3.5 million in Trent uh, per season. But you get some of that back with Trent Sherfield. I had Sherfield back for one one year for $2 million. Uh, the terms of his contract are to be determined. He agreed to terms yesterday with the Buffalo Bills. <clears throat> Bill, that stinks. That's a bummer. I'm happy for Trent. Uh, I will say that I'm happy for Trent Sherfield to get an opportunity, especially in an offense like Buffalo's where the wide receiver, wide receiver two spot feels like it's wide open. You might expect that they're either going to draft somebody or they might draft a linebacker to replace Tremaine Edmonds, or they might draft a guard to replace Roger Saffold. Like they got a couple different spots and, and they, they, uh, the bills agreed to terms with Damian Harris uh, from the Patriots to replace Devin Singletary, who agreed to terms yesterday with the Houston Texans. So kind of the AFC East merry-go-round continues, and I think the Bills got better at running back and getting Damian Harris over Devin Singletary anyway. But that's that's neither here nor there. It's a bummer. But uh, bummed to see Trent go there. Uh, a couple things in the wide receiver room that did go according to plan. We did the max restructure, including both the roster bonus and the base salary for Tyreek Hill. Uh, so that, that was proposed in the offseason blueprint. That exact scenario played out where they they took every dollar that they had at their disposal and they rolled all of it through the next four seasons, three seasons, which is smart. Tyreek Hill's going to be here. He's I think he's a player that's going to age well. I think he's going to age gracefully because he's not just a speed player. He's a route runner. And when you have the technique element of the game, it positions you to age particularly gracefully as you may lose some of your vertical receiving elements, but you can move further inside with more consistency and uh, very different body type than Larry Fitzgerald, but that's what Larry Fitzgerald did. And he aged incredibly well at wide receiver because he was such a technical player. So I, I'm unconcerned about that last year, $55.5 million cap hit for, for Tyreek Hill. Uh, you can get a contract extension done and redistribute some of that money and, 
and um, pivot there if you need to. Uh, the other thing that I did have down for the wide receiver room that we have seen materialize, River Craycraft back. Uh, I almost hit the dollar amount on the nose. I had him down for one year, $1 million. He was one year, $1.08 million against the cap. Back with the Dolphins. I think that's a good add uh, for Miami as well as competition with Braxton Berrios and that kind of receiver separation separator in the slot type of role. So through the skill players, um, we have tight ends left. And, and the big thing here is Foster Moreau, who remains unsigned. And, and that's critical for my hopes and dreams of the tight end room. Uh, because my four-man tight end room at the end of the 53-man offseason blueprint was Foster Moreau, Darnell Washington in the draft at 51, Hunter Long, and Tanner Connor. They traded Hunter Long as a part of the Jalen Ramsey deal, so he's gone. Uh, you only incurred $450,000 in dead cap there, so that that, that wasn't even a, a restricted move. You saved almost a million dollars against the cap. Uh, Tanner Connor is here, second-year player, super inexpensive. He was always going to be on the, on the cut. They made room for him last year. You have to think they're going to make room for him again this year. Uh, but before the draft, the, the Dolphins signed Eric Saubert, which is a move that I like. I didn't have it down, but it's a move that I like. So now you have Durham Smythe, Eric Saubert, and Tanner Connor. Now you could go into the draft and just say, hey, we need to draft a tight end, period. And we need this player to be a meaningful player for us. But if you're going to protect yourself and do one of the things that was the objective of the offseason blueprint through free agency was go into the draft not needing to draft for need at any juncture. Guy like Foster Moreau is still out there. We're going to talk about what his market looks like versus the tight end market next here on the show. But before we do, March Madness is upon us. The tournament is heating up, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and everything in between. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance of bigger payouts with same-game parlays. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That is FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. So the tight end market's kind of weird. And we kind of expected it was going to be weird, but the, the degree in which it's weird has caught me off guard. Uh, Gusecki signed for one for four and a half, another four and a half million dollars in incentives that I'd be surprised if he hit half of. Um. Durham Smythe signed in Houston for one one-year deal up to $9 million yesterday. Both of those guys played on the franchise tag for about $11 million. No long-term deals, no multi-year contracts, stipulated money, which makes Foster Moreau a really interesting player. I had him down for three, 24, three for 24, an average of eight per season. So cheaper than both the the uh, Dalton Schultz, who I think I called Durham Smythe just now. Did I? It's still early. Might need some caffeine. And Mike Isecki contracts. There's your caffeine right there. So Dalton Schultz and Mike Isecki, the max value of those contracts would surpass what I had Foster Moreau's market down for. 
But three for 24 is a handsome contract relative to the, the contributions that Foster Moreau has made as an NFL player versus the other two players that did not get a mark. So what I'm clinging on to hope for here is that Miami and, and Foster Moreau has visited Cincinnati. Um, he visited the Saints. He's taken a couple visits. The Dolphins have not, to my knowledge, been on the list. Maybe that's an opportunity that's too good to pass up. What I do know is the Dolphins, before they make any more big moves, they, they need to get a contract extension done or they need to get a contract off the books. Because all these, these over the cap at spot track, they get the Dolphins down for $5 million, $8 million, whatever. But if the terms of contracts are not publicly known, they're omitted. Like David Long's contract details are in Fort Knox. Been waiting for those details to come across the books for a week. Can't find it. Don't know the details of David Long. Don't know what the salary cap hit is for this year. For his contract and a couple other contracts that were new, like Jake Bailey and so on and so forth. So we're, we're kind of, at least at the time of this recording on Tuesday morning, we're playing the waiting game to figure out exactly where the Dolphins are, in, are at in cap, but I know they're going to be tight. So can you get a Christian Wilkins contract extension done? Can you trade Cedric Wilson? Can you move Emmanuel Agba if that's something that you want to do? Can you get, extend Connor Williams like... Something's got to get done before the Dolphins could bring in a player at a couple million dollars per year clip because the 51st ranked player right now is like 800 K. That's the player that's getting bumped off. So you don't really have a lot of room unless you're signing marginal players above the salary cap hit of that 51st player right now. So Foster Rose out there. It's an opportunity for the Dolphins to improve their tight end room. If they want to have the insurance policy and have a couple veterans in the room, now, they could also find the room to do that by moving on from Durham Smythe, but I don't know that that's in the cards because if they were going to do that, maybe they would have done that by now. I would have done it. It was on my blueprint, but I'm not Chris Greer. So that's where you sit with the skill players and Foster Moreau is a, a, is a life preserver out there for me and, and not needing to draft for need at tight end. So if you're going to need draft for need at tight end, you better get to the end of the first round get the lay of the land, and in the second round, when the first one comes off the board, assuming that there's more than one that you like, you better go get the next one. And that's, that's a dangerous game when, you're, when you, you're putting your fate in the hands of other teams not drafting the players that you want and then being left with a um, consolation prize. And, you know, sometimes that it's better to be lucky than good. But that's the exact scenario in how the Dolphins landed Liam Eikenberg. Speaking of the offensive line, uh, this was not a <laughs> this was not a group that had a lot of moves that mirror what I would have done. Um, they max restructured Teron Armstead. That was not in the cards on the Dol Dolphins 2023 offseason blueprint from two weeks ago. Uh, I had the Dolphins signing Trey Pipkins at offensive tackle. Uh, I had him down for four for 32 with a $5 million cap hit in year one. He re-signed with the Chargers for three for 21 and three quarters million dollars. So I was within a million dollars of the value average salary that Pipkins would get. So if I was bidding and Pipkins was open to going into a new team, my bid probably would have won by about a three quarters of a million dollars per season. Uh, his cap hit with the Chargers, $3.75 million in year one of that three-year 21, almost $22 million deal. I'd have done that one. 
I would not have max restructured Teron Armstead. Uh, Daniel Brunskill was the other big free agent signing. I don't even want to say big free agent signing, but the other free agent signing that I had down, he ended up signing in Tennessee. He followed Rand Carthon, who was in player personnel in San Francisco, was hired as the general manager this offseason of the Tennessee Titans uh, to replace John Robinson. I had Brunskill's market down up. My offer would have been two for six, $3 million cap, cap hit in year one. Uh, he signed in Tennessee two for five and a half. So at, one thing that I will take a lot of consolation in here is aside of maybe the Foster Moreau tight end market in general, a lot of the contracts that I have down um, that I would have offered, they would have been competitive offers. I might not have won all of them, but they all would have been competitive and within the realm of, of feasibility uh, of what that player's actual market looked like. Um, defensive line, uh, Bradley Chubb got a max restructure. Um, I was a proponent of that. In addition, Malik Reed, our free agent signing, not a player being brought back, but a, a player signed in free agency. Uh, I'll be interested to see what the contract details are on that one. I had him for one for $3 million. Um, It's a one-year deal. I, I don't know the terms as of this point in time, but between the Vic Fangio connection and Reed playing as well as he did for Fangio in Denver, that's a no-brainer signing. I think that probably pushes Andrew Van Ginkle out in Miami. Uh, kind of a similar body type type player. A um, little bit more accomplished as a pass rusher, Malik Reed is. So uh, I like that addition a lot. Uh, probably the biggest whiff that I had on market-wise was Colin Saunders, the defensive lineman that I had uh, identified as a potential competition for Raekwon Davis as your A-gap defender. Uh, I had him down for one for two. He signed in New Orleans. Uh, three for 12. So good for him. His, his value per year was was twice what I would have offered. So uh, good for him to get that deal, but that's certainly a, a spot that you still have Wilkins and Sealer and Davis. And what else beyond that is you got Bronson and, and Jalen Twyman right now. You're probably going to need one or two bodies up front there. And it's just a matter of finding guys with, with good value. Um, I thought Saunders could be that kind of guy, but he's a guy in the prime of his career and uh, good for him. The, the, the Saints moving on from Iometta at defensive tackle and getting a guy like Saunders to come in and step in is, is a good move for them. A good signing for them. Uh, I'll tip my cap there and move on. Linebacker, Duke Riley's back. That's a good, good thing for me. I had Duke Riley down one for three and a half million dollars. He signed for two for five, a little bit cheaper in year one than what I would have um, identified. And David Long wasn't on my list, but David Long wasn't on my list because I expected he was going to be about a $10 million per year player. Now, I don't know if the, the the hamstring issues that he has was that big of a hindrance on his market, but like I was expecting to get 2x the market that he did. And linebackers this year were the other position. Linebackers, safeties, and tight ends. <laughs> the three groups that I probably covet more than your average NFL personnel person just because of the... Um, flexibility that they give you with your defensive structure and your offensive structure and mismatch type players in the middle of the field and all that stuff. Um, those are the three markets that have been the most weird in free agency. Tremaine Edmonds got 18 per. You have um, Bobby O'Karake got 10 per. And nobody else got more than like seven, seven and a half. I was stunned. 
to see that kind of market. So for, for David Long um, to have the market that he did and be here, be the player that the Dolphins got here instead of Drew Tranquil, Drew Tranquil signed with the Chiefs on a one-year deal. I would have paid him, I would have offered him, I should say, three for 21. Now that's not the fate that he got. He got a one-year deal in Kansas City, but I thought that signing was kind of weird because the Chiefs have Willie Gay, they have Nick Bolton, they just drafted uh, the Wisconsin backer in the third round of last year's draft, Leo Chennault, and now they've got Drew Tranquil. So they got a really good linebacker. So that's the big discrepancy. Now, you did get a quality starter in David Long. I had Drew Tranquil assessed and evaluated as a quality starter. Cornerback. There's a, our next unsigned player that I would have targeted, but I think he's probably off the bubble now. Because you brought Nick Needham back. I had him down one for two. Came back for 1.82. You acquired Jalen Ramsey. That wasn't in the cards. That's a, a cornerstone type player. So tip of the cap to Chris Greer. He got a cornerstone player where I did not land a single cornerstone player in the offseason blueprint. Oh, which makes Chandon Sullivan probably redundant at this point with the, the versatility of the safety room that you have. Sullivan was another slot nickel type player that I had identified between time in Green Bay and Minnesota as potentially an appealing player. Uh, to sign, uh, but we'll we'll pass on that one. We got safeties. We got to talk about other roster transactions. We got to talk about punter. But before we do, we got to talk about Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. These things are ridiculously delicious. And right now, the Built March Madness bracket is here. Everybody has a favorite bar puff. Now it's time to make yours known and count. Go to builtmarchmadness.com to vote on your favorites. You know you'll be voting for your favorite bar or puff with an opportunity to win yourself a free box of Built. 50 lucky locked-on listeners will get a free box of Built throughout Built March Madness. Not only that, one locked-on fan won a 12-month subscription to Built to have Built's best bars and puffs delivered monthly straight to your door. You have to try Built. Built is the best protein bar ever. Seriously, they're amazing for you, and they are amazing to eat. They taste like candy bars. It's the life hack you didn't know you need. So don't wait. Run to BuiltMarchMadness.com right now to vote on your favorite bar or puff. Pick up a box while you're there. You can vote every day in March. So hop in and support your pick. Safeties. Um, I had John Johnson down for three for 24. He remains unsigned. Um, but... The Dolphins did sign Deshaun Elliott on a one-year deal that was exponentially cheaper. And I think Deshaun Elliott is more of a quality depth player than a, an adequate starter. But for the cost of discrepancy and acknowledging Jalen Ramsey's presence and that being a more long-term contract that will need to be accounted for, I think it's the proper pivot at safety. Now, there is probably a discussion to be had about Jordan Poyer getting six and a quarter from the Bills across two years. Uh, that's cheaper than what I was willing to pay John Johnson because I was expecting Poyer to get over $10 million per season. At six and a quarter, would you have made a run for it? Possibly. Maybe the Dolphins did make a run for it but didn't want a long-term commitment. So Poyer goes back to Buffalo. Um, I think safety is sufficiently addressed, but I wouldn't give it the thumbs up just yet. Oh, if, there, if there's an opportunity to draft, to draft a Sidney Brown at 51, depending on what you do with tight end. 
I'd, I'd be hard pressed to not make that decision, especially with, with Brandon Jones coming into a contract year this upcoming season. And the Dolphins will have to make some hard decisions. Uh, Thomas Morstead, I would have brought him back. He signed a one year deal with the Jets. That's a bummer. <laughs> um, uh, but Jake Bailey, when healthy, effective NFL punter, uh, should be another quality starter type player. You should be okay there with that transition. Um, we got the Byron Jones post-June 1 cut on, from the blueprint. was exactly how the Dolphins executed. The Dolphins cut Seaton Carter, uh, which was also on the offseason blueprint. Outstanding roster moves as far as cuts that I would make in trades. Uh, Cedric Wilson, I still think that one's pretty likely to see happen at some point, provided the Dolphins get a dance partner there. Um, I don't think the Agba move is overly likely. Um, Keon Crossan, potentially, and Durham Smith, Smythe, I would doubt. So I think you got about a 50-50 shot of roster transaction moves that I would have proposed between trading Agba and Wilson and cutting Crossan and Smythe. I guess you probably get two of those and you don't get the other two. So we're not batting a thousand, but I feel good about the market valuations that we proposed throughout the offseason blueprint. And we did see some overlap between what the Dolphins did from a salary cap perspective and roster restructures. We saw some overlap with free agents that they signed, their own players that they chose to bring back. We'll see if we hit a trade or two along the way. And that's the fun part. And we will revisit this closer to the draft um, after the dust continues to settle and maybe the Dolphins get some of the contract extensions that we had outlined done as well. But that's your snapshot um, of where the Dolphins are right now. The parallels to what I laid out of what I would have done. The big obvious discrepancy is the Jalen Ramsey trade and bringing on another big money contract for several seasons and the spider web influence of that, of not having the dollars to pay a John Johnson, not having the dollars to pay a Trey Pipkins. And instead you're, you're a little bit more economical for the time being there and, and probably hoping for veteran players to shake free at some point along the way. But uh, make sure you keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins, your team every day. Fins up. I appreciate you guys checking out the show. Make it a great rest of your Tuesday. We will talk with you all again tomorrow. You can find Locked on Dolphins on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.